Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. I'm just leaving you a message to say happy birthday, man. 50 years old. So, that means you're like, I believe, just two years younger than my mom. Which means you're old enough to be my dad. How does it make you feel? Huh? Like you're old enough to be my dad. Dude, you're old. Oh, and one more little fun fact. You actually share the birthday with my actual dad. Wait a minute. Are you my dad? So, is it okay if I just start calling you Daddy Wargamer? He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. Hello again, it's me, Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and this is Keep Off the Borderlands. Now, I began my last episode by saying that I'd fallen off the wagon, talking about the fact that it had been a while since I'd released an episode. But looking back at the recent frequency of episodes, it appears I was pretty much right on the money. So it would seem that the ageing process is already having an impact my senior brain no longer able to assess the passing of time with any real degree of accuracy. Now we kicked off the show there with a few messages from Josh Beckelheimer, formerly of JB Publishing, now with a podcast called Forever Prepping DM. Now thanks for those messages, Josh. If memory serves me right, which is another thing that's up for debate. I believe you're from one of the Carolinas, and I've not visited either of them. So, unless your mother's done a bit of travelling, I think it's safe to say that we're not related. I don't know, telltale signs? Do you have a hankering for food that isn't slathered in source of one description or another? Do you find yourself being irked by the idea of keeping eggs in a fridge? Are you aware that making a decent cup of tea requires a kettle and not a microwave? Do you understand the difference between a fanny and a bum? These are the questions you really need to be asking yourself. You could call me Daddy Wargamer, but what I know about wargaming, you could fit on the base of a single 2mm scale infantryman. I don't even know if that's a thing. These are just words. But thank you very much for the birthday greetings, and uh, apologies for not getting round to sharing that sooner. 
I keep promising that I'm going to do an episode about my experiences playing old school essentials. But it turns out that the alluvial plains are extremely fertile ground and I've got a bumper crop of material for you. First of all, you'll hear me responding to a bunch of calls I received following my previous episode about alluvial plains and how I felt about the magic within the setting. And then Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus reached out to me as we'd received a few more messages regarding the magic system. So we decided to um, get together and have a bit of a chat. So for anybody might not be aware, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but just in case you aren't, Barney is developing the Vantage system, an RPG system, utilising different coloured dice. The colours of the successful dice suggest the manner in which that success was achieved. Barney, myself and Dave Sermon are creating a setting for the game in the Mesolithic period in an area known as Doggerland, which is a land bridge between the UK and mainland Europe. So there are some messages, followed by a conversation with Barney, followed by some further messages, which we both respond to, after which we explore some further ideas on the subject. So here is part one. Now, I got a couple of calls from Joe Richter of Hindsightless. Now, Joe had put out an episode entitled Rise of the Dragon Plains, where he recaps the session of Alluvial Plains that we played in. And I hadn't actually listened to that episode prior to putting my episode out. And if you haven't listened to that yourself, please do go and check it out. What have you got for me, Joe? Yo, Spence, loving the episode so far. Thought I'd chime in since I got brought up a couple times. But yeah, you were wondering, uh, you were thinking what the sessions would have been like without magic. And to talk, I can only speak on the one that I was in, but I would say that without magic, that session would have ended or would have been exactly the same because I really didn't do anything all that magical uh, throughout that session. Like any of that stuff could have been explained away. Like you were talking about even the wave, it could have been a small earthquake combined with some wind Uh, that could have been what caused that dude to fall down. So nothing I did, I didn't feel was all that magical, but again, it comes down to perception. Uh, The very end when your character Drek and my character Talanki do got uh got sucked down by the evil spirits. Now that that was magic. But that was the DM doing that and you know, DMs can do whatever they want. So yeah, like I, I get it. Like the it all comes down to perception, obviously. You know, I I did not feel that that was a very magical session, which I thought was awesome. I thought it was a very low magic session. Um, I mean, even, you know, I'm coming from Pathfinder, so of course I think that. But even compared to something like BX, you know, or OSE, it was way less magical than that. Um, But yeah, like, you know, magic isn't for everyone, obviously. Like, 
they're shamans in the game. So I went with it and I wanted to lean into it. Um, and so I did. And Barney, Barney kind of went with it. And so, yeah, it, it probably just comes down to play style. Like so many other things do anyway, dude, you're amazing. Peace out. Thanks for that feedback, Joe. I think with that first incident with a guy being swept off his feet, I think I'm probably splitting hairs a bit there. And maybe if I was running the game, I would have... (laughs) Listen to me. If I was running the game, please bear in mind, I've never run any games before, okay? There was a little, you know, foray with the help of Colin Spike-Pitt-Green, but I have not run a session. So, yes, please bear that in mind when I say what I'm about to say and what I was about to say was that um what was I about to say <laughs> hang on a second the guy being swept off his feet now I was gonna say if I was running the game I might have uh, described what was occurring slightly differently although having said that I don't remember how Barney actually described it I can only reflect upon how it made me feel in the moment which was kind of yeah. anyway that wasn't a big deal it was that event at the end of the session that you referred to where we were both held to the ground by spirits and i i i just felt that that kind of came out of left field from my perspective and you're right it is all about the interpretation and I don't want to come across as some kind of anti-magic guy. I'm into fantasy as much as the next player. I do have issues with fantasy and magic. And I think I lean towards games where magic is more wild and dangerous. Although having said that, I don't really think I've experienced that properly. I just kind of had it in mind that this was not a fantasy setting. One last thing on uh, Alluvial Plains. So you'd mentioned a couple times talking about the real world and how you wanted a real world setting. And I mean, the thing is, we don't really know what the world was like back then. There are all types of things from back then that we still today can't explain. I mean, hell, we don't even know who or when or how the pyramids were built like we know it wasn't built by slaves <laughs> you know we know it wasn't built in the timeline that mainstream academia says it was it just couldn't have been built uh a bunch of the structures in south america just boggle the mind with how huge these stones are that they lifted to the tops of mountains so yeah we don't know what the real world was like back then anyway man love you peace out you know joe i think we are kind of on the same page there when i'm talking when i use the term real world i am including real world mysteries you know what drew me to the idea of having a game set in Doggerland is the very fact that it no longer exists and we know so little about it. For me, that suggests 
a very fertile ground that we can bring all kinds of things into that setting. I'm thinking of a world that's full of mystery. I'm thinking of a world that, in a sense, is magical. You know, magic arises out of things that we don't understand. And yeah, I get that there are shaman in the game. You are playing one and you're going to lean into that. Totally made sense for you to do what you did. And I think you understood what I felt about the role that magic would play. Even though I feel I've not made a particularly good job of explaining that to anybody. And as I say... We're very much playtesting this thing. I'm trying to find a sweet spot where the world is magical to the people that inhabit it. But those people are not necessarily able to exploit magic to that degree. Anyway, always great to hear from you, Joe. It was great to have you involved in the game. I love you too, man. Hey Spencer, just a random thought. I was listening a part way through your Alluvial Plains episode um, and I'm halfway through Barney's calling, so please forgive me, I'm early. But I, I just got home and I thought I'll, I'll save this thought um, so you don't have to share this. Um, it just occurred to me that you were sort of trying to bring a very modern mindset about magic. You know, a, a very, uh, there is, you know, reductive, materialistic um, kind of mindset to magic, which is absolutely fine. But applying that to a very pre-modern world, and uh, that, that that to me was sort of jarring, I suppose. And I, I kind of just had a thought, which was either maybe it just made more sense that the you know, magic isn't real; it's just a belief thing. But from the perspective of the characters, it's utterly real, right? So, what's the actual practical difference? I don't know. It was just that philosophically, it jarred, and uh, I kind of thought that might be useful. I don't know. Thanks, mate. Game on. Hey, Che, I hear you. Che Webster there from Roleplay Rescue. And um, yes, you make an interesting point because that's exactly what I'm not trying to do, though I'm obviously failing in that endeavour in trying to get out of my modern mindset. What I'm trying to get away from is the mechanics of magic in an RPG. I want the world to feel magical for the characters and yeah I'm obviously struggling to do that I'm aware that my language is quite I suppose secular and modern and yeah I, I really do want to get away from that I'm struggling to communicate what I want perhaps because I'm not sure of what I want exactly. I guess I want to have my cake and eat it by wanting that kind of mystical presence, but not wanting magic to be at the disposal of the characters. I guess it's not a million miles away from um, what there's been a lot of talk recently about Middle Earth and, you know, it, it being a magical world and characters might have knowledge about this sort of stuff, you know, but it isn't at their beck and call. I'm not sure I'm being any clearer here with this. But thanks for your call, Che. It certainly uh, got me reassessing 
my approach. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Sorry about the background noise. Um, interesting episode on alluvial planes. I've only play tested it once and seen an earlier iteration of the rules, so I really can't advise on the current state, you know. But I would say that I think Barney's suggestion of having the shaman as a communal character makes sense, you know, as an NPC or something that everybody controls. If you want a low slash no magic, then I don't think... I think if you have a shaman character and somebody's playing a shaman, they're going to want to be able to do magic. So, And the things like Joe was doing aren't un, unrealistic that, you know, they... They're, they're, that player is going to want to do things with those char- with that character, so I think either if you want a no lo- slash no, be 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 be. a low to no magic campaign, you don't give the players the options to use magic, or you have it as a very you know you have it as a background option like like he's kind of suggesting, because I think as soon as you make a PC, you know one PC that that's their job is magic right or spirits or animism or whatever, right, then they're going to want to do stuff, cool stuff with it. And if you don't want them doing cool stuff with it, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying it's an issue. But don't give them that character when they're going to expect to do cool stuff, if that makes sense, right? If you don't want people swashbuckling, then you don't have a swashbuckling character class. So if you don't want people casting, you know, magic, don't have magic using character classes, I guess what I'm saying. Um, My suggestion... Again, an ignorant suggestion, not playing the current iteration of the rules and not, you know, being there during that play test. But that, that'd be my ignorant suggestion. Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And thank you very much for that call, Jason. Um, yeah, it's not an ignorant suggestion at all. The rules have not changed drastically. It's just a Barney has been tweaking them. And as far as I felt, the way magic manifested in that most recent session was very similar to how it was used in the previous session I was involved with. I guess it comes down to whether, you know, what you think of a shaman as being. I mean, I'm not thinking of a shaman as some kind of nerfed magic user. I'm thinking of a shaman in the sense of, how a shaman would be in the real world. And I'm using that term real world with all the implications of mystery that are a part of that. I see a shaman as somebody who, through meditation or maybe some ceremony or substance is employed that allows a shaman to enter into a trance-like state in which is able to kind of convene with the spirits, enter the spirit world and gain knowledge through that. Maybe even assistance. They can request help, but the spirit world is certainly not at their command. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. And it's not that a shaman is totally useless in all other respects, Again, I find myself thinking about Middle-earth and how Safer Fantasy Crafting actually called in to Arlen Walker, live from Pelham's Wasteland, and uh, left some really interesting stuff about 
how the both of them view Gandalf and his role as in not being this all-powerful wizard but as being somebody who has kind of insight and esoteric knowledge about the world I guess that's the kind of the realm that I feel myself wandering into but yeah thanks very much for your call Jason cheers maybe it's me who needs to be removed from the system hello Barney hi Spencer now I, I just wondered if you could um, please explain the uh, the fine mess that you've got us into regarding the magic system. <laughs> okay, okay. So we're talking about alluvial planes, the Stone Age roleplay game that we are working on. And although lots of little bits and pieces get tweaked and changed, it mostly feels like it's all. It's all nearly there, but the magic is the thing that I've never felt completely comfortable with. And as we've discovered in the last week or so, you're even less comfortable with. And uh, so the fight, go on, go on, go on. No, no, I've just, um, that was your, I, that was I, your I, death rattle. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the thought that, um, that I'm less happy with it. I I guess I I don't want to be the one upsetting the apple cart because I know you've put a lot of lot of uh, effort into what what we have here. But but I guess I guess I guess I don't want to be the one always pushing the apple cart. <laughs> <laughs> if I can say that. So, Certainly. Um, um and yeah, we'll, so so without getting ahead of ourselves, basically I just stormed ahead with my apple cart, with our apple cart, with the apple cart. I just stormed ahead and... Apples everywhere. Apples everywhere, (laughs) shouting at you left and right. Where are you? Where are you? Um, And I I came up with something. I came up with a really complicated one, and then I made that simpler, and then a bit simpler again. And that was what we played last a week ago or so and I, I suppose I never felt like it was at all the final thing like I said in my messages to you in, in the last episode about it they, I, just, I just got used to having them around um, mm. and it was some attempt to offer a, a mechanical way of, of having that bit of magic that we had talked about. And I think also I probably complicated the situation on certain occasions by perhaps um, being too generous with the magic in game. So I think there's a really interesting tension there between what the rules suggest, what the world suggests and how you interpret that during play. Hmm. Um, it's interesting that I've just in, in what I've said previously, in, in the responses that I've received, uh, that I was um, 
surprised by what Joe Richter mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. with the magic. But mm-hmm. on reflection, I feel that, that that was much more in keeping with how I kind of perceived it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That really it was the last section of that session. Yeah. That um, I thought, oh, this is very uh, powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're talking about the, the big bad shaman at the end. Yes. And, you know, and there I just, I just thought I need to put these guys up against someone a bit, bit scary. What I, what I realise is that perhaps the fact that all I, all I was meaning to invoke was that somehow you had leaden feet. Mm. Almost, and could just, or, or, I don't know, were, were petrified or something, or, I mean, it, you know, could have been any, like, I don't know, it could have, it could have, could have been some poison in the air that numbed your limbs, or I don't know what, God knows what, but, it's um, interesting I, that that thought occurred to me as well, that maybe the chamber was gaseous and we'd sort of, <laughs> were sort of passing out on the verge of passing out because because all i wanted to do was that little bit of magic would be enough to leave you to the cannibals to devour Mm. yes um so it wasn't it wasn't that anything more supernatural than that happened um but in my latest conversation with tom barbelay which which will be out soon or, you know, around, around the same time as this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about cumulative effect. The cumulative effect was that magic was very powerful. And I think that's a really important indicator. And, you know, the discussion that, that you and I and Tom and Joe had, um, about the magic, I thought, you know, I thought that was super instructive. And the key thing, the key debate for me, is about the question of the world. And, you know, both you and Tom chimed in with a fundamentally different ontology of the world. Right. And I think that's important. So we need mechanisms for it. We all agree that there needs to be some kind of magic. But yeah. ontologically, ontologically, it, it can't have such a cumulative power, I guess. It can't stand out in a way. And I said to Tom that it's such a fine line between an underwhelming magic system that's superfluous or an overpowered, overwhelming magic system. Right. And and he makes the point that that perhaps a way to deal with that is um an underwhelming shamanic magic system and an overwhelming shaman. Right. So, I, yeah. So it was Sorry. kind of, so I said, oh, it's really, it's actually more like a showman than a shaman. Mm. So that then gets to some very interesting places. But perhaps I should just say very briefly, what I was trying mechanically with it would be that there would be different areas of expertise. Shaman would have a major and a minor specialism. Mm. And 
as the power of the shaman increased, it would make it slowly more possible to perform magic or the shamanic enchantments. And in the simpler iteration, uh, there would be some minor effect within the normal success range. But if anyone ever rolled a critical success of six or more successes, of which is very unlikely, then something truly miraculous could occur. Yes, yes. So it was trying to leave space for the odd miraculous thing to happen and for everything else to be kind of a bit more uh, impressive rather than impactful. But as Tom and you have pointed out, there's maybe still a bit too much impact. And I think it's worth digging up the root all the way down to those, to that ontological question of what the world is like. So that would be my cue to pass you the spade or the pickaxe, Spencer. <laughs> Everything you suggested there sounds very reasonable. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking of this in terms of a historical setting mm-hmm. and I previously was using the word real, real world and, um, an interesting call that Joe left me, which, mm-hmm. uh, you, you would have already heard. I'm, I'm speaking to the listener here. Um, <laughs> Joe goes into the fact that history is full of mystery and there's lots of unexplainable things and seemingly miraculous stuff that we have very little idea about how it was possible for Mm. people back then to achieve what they achieved. And I, in in using the term real world, I, I was hoping to incorporate all that, you know, the real world mystery the ambiguity of the past now could i just butt in tom made a really interesting point in this this discussion that we had where he talks about and i and i i feel this might have been a step towards my position if you like that he he was talking about that there needs to be there needs to be a place for the myths or the mythical Mm to yes. play a role and 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 I think that's that leans you know in some way towards what Joe's talking about and what you're talking about there so and I think that will also play in perhaps a little bit into into the message that Collins left us which we're going to hear and talk about later mm, yes um and yeah I just want to be clear that I don't have a clear idea of what i'm reaching for to be honest it was just i'm sort of responding to the feelings i had Mm. during that session it's good to know what you don't like isn't it Mm. yes yes (laughs) and 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 i don't want to give the impression that i didn't enjoy the session it was fantastic it was just that the the um the resulting world was um slightly different from how i yeah how i was picturing it i also think that an important aspect of it is that 
this is something this this aspect or this kind of mood for the game is something that I think is I don't want to say it's unique to our game, but I think it's something very that 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 you and me and David all have. Um, we we have this we have we we we're all interested in this quite. I don't downbeat's the wrong word, but you know, very low magic. We we all we all I think want a game that is just tinged by it and not mm. dominated by it. So um, I think I think you know, for all good reasons, I I I went on a bit of a you know a flamboyant um, excursus. And and I think it's really interesting to yeah to be thrashing this out better more with you directly. Yes, yes. I I just had a thought there that um I think one of the the key things for me is that the characters are up against it and the mm. and they're very much at the mercy of the world that they find themselves in. And the idea that they have an understanding, a control over the environment to the extent that they can use magic, mm-hmm. you know, pow- powerful magic is at their fingertips, um, seems to undermine that. Now, I've been thinking, a little thought I've had, and maybe we should come back to this later, but I've been wondering if there's a, within shamanic traditions, let's say, this is my thought, is there a tension or a parting of ways between nature and ancestry or ancestor worship? Because I was thinking about how you might have a culture that that really embraces nature and wants to work with nature if, in the shadow of nature, in the mm-hmm. light of nature, whatever you want to call it. But then you might also have people that are digging into the ancestral realm. And I think that's where you get ideas in, say, Greek mythology or Norse mythology about great halls or temples or Mount, you know, Mount Olympus. This this kind of place of the gods, it's it's where all the dead go. They're this they're this kind of powerhouse. Um, mm. Now, of course, we can get into Zeus being uh, a lightning god and uh, Odin and all of those kinds of things. And there you've got this this tension precisely between nature and culture, if you like. And that god represents a kind of um, trans-dimensional control of of the power of nature. You know, it's it's been anthropomorphized. Yes. Um, yeah. So there's something complicated there, interesting and complicated there. But I was thinking, if you if you had a tribe that's leaning into the ancestors, it's maybe setting itself up, like you say, as a perceived necessary defense line against the almighty power of nature yes yes that sounds 
quite quite reasonable um, in the sense that I guess you know I think about sort of Greek mythology and how uh, essentially it's seems to be much more about understanding the human psyche than mm-hmm. our position in the world and that perhaps more sort of totemism animism where the, the humans are not necessarily distinct from nature mm. in, in, a, in a lot of ways. I, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what I'm, I'm well, expressing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's interesting. But Spencer, if you're if you're talking about characters who are up against it, then they are not completely in tune with nature, are they? Or, no, or that's they? right. Animals hibernate when, you know, some animals hibernate when they need to. It all winter's coming. They dig their tunnel. They get their, their nest sorted. They glut on loads of food and they curl up and they just sleep it through. Incredible. We don't, we don't do that. No. Um, and I, I'm just thinking about the, the term up against it. And uh, obviously that's suggesting an oppositional. <laughs> Um, oh, okay. uh, man versus nature whereas I'm kind of thinking that nature is such a dominating force living in that kind of a world that you know nature is calling the shots and if you don't if you're not attuned to that then you're probably not going to stick around very long mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but I also think opportunistic humans would be would be taking advantage of all that bounty uh, when when they came across it. I mean, as, oh, as so. David as David always points out, you know, there must have been this almost kind of deafening abundance. Um, uh, you know, you you could almost you know get up, walk to the river, grab a fish, kill it, cook it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, but then you've got an abundance of other things that are feeding off the fish that you might have to deal with, or perhaps you know you might be awoken one morning by it with a stampede raging through your Indeed. your village. Um, you a know, short game, with... a short a short scenario that one. Yes, <laughs> but I had I had actually thought of one like that, uh, like that. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, yes, yeah, just thinking that with this abundance comes um, all kinds of other complications. Hmm. Spencer, we've got, I, I was going to say an abundance of calls, but that's not true. We've got an abundance of minutes of interesting hmm. ideas, haven't we? Yes, yes. Shall we uh, listen to them and then get back to our own ruminations in response at, later on? Indeed. Hold up. <gasps> Cliffhanger ending. Now, it might seem a little crazy to cut things there, but um, as Barney said, we did have an abundance of minutes of calls and we do go on to speak at some length in response to these calls before continuing on to discuss some further thoughts. And that does seem 
like a natural point at which to halt proceedings. But rest assured, part two is coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.